0: Genesis 30, verse 25, and we will actually be going through 55, 31-55 this morning. So if we get started, uh, we're not going to read all of that passage together. Travis wasn't sure he could do all of those verses. No, we, we just, it, it's a large portion of Scripture, and we're going to try to to move through and get the big picture of it and try to understand maybe more clearly what's taking place and what God is doing as He's made promises to Jacob. So if you would just bow with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, for the opportunity we have to get before you, to hear from your word, to know that you're a God who speaks is the most amazing thing for us. That you are not silent, that you did not keep us from knowing you. That we don't have to make up things to do or or uh, rules, we don't have to make up your rule or your authority or how you're going to save. We know you've spoken you've revealed to us that through your son that you would save a people for yourself and that they would not be able to save themselves but they would see that it's sheer grace alone lord i just ask today that you'd remind us of that that you are a god who saves your people who are helpless and needy and we just ask today god that you would open our eyes to see our own condition as we observe jacob's life in christ's name amen we get started just kind of thinking about you know what what's going on here again just remember in genesis that god i mean ultimately from chapter 12 onward god has called out abraham he calls isaac he calls jacob he repeats the promise that he gives to abraham to to both isaac and jacob and he's doing that and he says i will make you a people i will give you a place and i will bless you and i think that's important to understand and not only that he says I will use you, your family, to bless all the nations of the earth. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're reading this as Christians, understanding the big picture is that God did this, he promised this, and he fulfilled all of his promises in Christ. And so it's always helpful to remember that as we're looking at a text to understand that. But also, just by way of recap, we understand that Jacob went to Haran, he was on the run and he was leaving because he kind of stole his brother's birthright and also his blessing in some ways, but primarily his blessing, and his brother was going to kill him, and so he took off, but also he was sent to find a wife, and he goes there, and the Lord on the way says to him, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to protect you, and um, and I'm going to bring you back, and I'll never leave you until I accomplish everything that I've said that I would do. So he travels there, he meets up with his, who he was going to meet, his, his mother's brother Laban, he gets there. When he meets him, he, uh, he he ends up kind of living with him for a month. Laban says, well, you need some wages. And, and, and Jacob says, I'll work for seven years for your daughter, your younger daughter, Rachel. After that happens, at the end of the seventh year, Laban says, well, let's throw a party. You're about to get married. And he, he swaps daughters. He puts his older daughter, he hands his older daughter to Jacob. Jacob doesn't know this. It's dark. He goes into the tent. He consummates his marriage. He wakes up the next morning. He looks up, and there it is. It's, it's the wrong one. It's the older daughter. And he goes to Laban. Laban says, well, I couldn't give you the younger first. And so he says, if you'll work another seven years, I'll hand you my daughter Rachel. And so that's kind of where we were. That kind of moves forward. So Jacob ends up basically working for um, 14 years. And, but during that time, he starts having children. And he has many children, actually 11 boys and one girl. And he, he, it, it happens through a lot of different circumstances. But ultimately, there's one more child to come, one more son. There will be 12 sons. Those 12 sons will be the 12 tribes of Israel. And all the Bible kind of unfolds from there. And in, in, in kind of you can see that as you move through. And so here's what we find out, though. Through all of this, that there's a lot of deception with Jacob and with his family and with Laban and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you would say, good night. I mean, I can't believe all of the sin and these people's lives and all the deception all that but what's God doing he is accomplishing his plan now who is the hero of every story and I've said this before but I remember when I was a little kid sometimes I thought oh when David slew Goliath he's the hero or when you know Jacob does this he's the hero or Joseph's the hero but ultimately what we see over and over and over is God is the hero God is the one that's saving God is the chief character God is the one that's orchestrating events in spite of all the sin that's going on. All of that is fitting within His plan to accomplish ultimately His plan. And again, we've said this, but we see this in Christ. Jesus was crucified by sinful men, but it wasn't outside of the will of God. God was accomplishing His will with the sins of men. He does that over and over and over in the Bible, and we see this in Jacob's life, and we're reminded that, listen, even the dark threads of our lives all of those things and all the sin committed against us, the sins we've committed, we can look back and say God is working. He's weaving through all of that, the dark threads, the beautiful threads, all that stuff to make a, a life for himself, for a people for himself and a life for us. And he does that. And that doesn't mean we don't have difficult days or all those things, but God is moving and accomplishing and doing his work of extending grace to sinners and rescuing them by his power. Is important and you should put this together as we think about this now let's just think about just you're in that passage let's read to you genesis twenty-eight fifteen. we don't have time we're not going to spend a lot of time there but just want to remind you he says behold i am with you speaking to jacob and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for i will not leave you until i have done all that i have promised you we observe this in jacob's life and we've seen this and jacob says to god in verse 20 of that chapter, then Jacob made a vow and said, God will be with me and will keep me in this way and, and that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And he goes on to lay things out. But ultimately, we're going to find out today, Jacob doesn't just come back with bread and, and a little bit of food to eat and just kind of survives. Jacob is going to thrive. He's going. To, God's going to do great things with him. And so I just think it's important as we move ahead to remind ourselves that's how God does it. Now here's the other thing. This is not going to be the only time this happens. There's going to be a time where God's people, Abraham or Jacob's descendants, he's going to go with them. They're going to go to Egypt and they're going to spend 400 years there and it's going to be all kinds of horrific things that are going to happen. They're going to actually be enslaved for 400 years and they're going to cry out to God and God is going to come to them And he is going to go and he's going to take them. He's going to deliver them and he's going to bring them out. But they're not going to come out just completely broken like slaves. They're going to come out with wealth. God's going to provide for them and bring them out of that land. And he's going to lead them back. God's going to do that again with Jesus. We're going to see him go into Egypt and he's going to come back out. But he's going to speak a lot to his people about A new exodus where he's drawing his people out and he's transforming their lives and he's blessing them with every spiritual blessing and he's promising them an eternal inheritance and that kind of gets to us so I just think it's important you kind of see that it's so important so valuable for us to understand that is what God does he delivers his people he saves them and no one no one ever ever in no place in any time in history can snatch God's people out of his hand. God is protecting them and he is moving in their lives and he is doing what he promises and he will bring them forward to victory and he will do it. And that's what we we need to see that over and over as we look at this text and think about the grace of God in our life and how he's lavished his blessings on us and how he's promised us a place. And he Jesus said he's preparing it for us. And he will come again and take us home we need to see that That is it's so important as we look at this text so that's kind of introductory things for you to be thinking about as we put this text together so in genesis 30 25 as we begin just note this it says and as soon as rachel had born joseph jacob said to laban send me away that i may go to my own home and country give me my wives and my children for whom i have served you that i may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have, I, I, and I have learned by divina, divination, that the Lord has blessed me because of you, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob is saying at this point, he's saying it is time to go home. I have my wives, I have my children, my inheritance is at home. I want to go home. I spent 14 years in this land. I have done all that is required of me. And then he's coming and saying, I'm ready to go. So I was saying it's important as you see it now. What Laban's going to ask him, he's going to kind of speak to him in a funny way. We know Laban is a trickster too. He's kind of one of those people that's always like, let's make a deal. You kind of make makes you a little nervous when you talk. When Laban starts talking, he speaks to Jacob almost in a way that he's a superior. It's kind of interesting. He even says, you know, he says, would you just name your wages? You know, all the he's kind of speaking to him. He, he's saying to him, I mean, in a very kind of strange way. If i found favor in your sight, and that's how you would speak almost like to a king, but. Anyway, he says he learns by divination. Now, what is that? That's an interesting kind of concept there. It's a way that that you would, one person notes it this way, it's a way to discern events in time or space through unordinary means. They they would use means like, sometimes it would be like a trance you would come in and you would get this enlightenment or understanding. Sometimes you would use all kinds of stuff, like uh, sand or uh, entrails of a sacrifice, or some people even use like today, they might use like modern kind of tea leaves and they do all this stuff and they scatter it out and it's supposed to give them these wild answers. Now, most of the time in the Bible it's condemned. Sometimes it's not. It's used in a more broad way just to get understanding. But here, I don't know what's going on with Laban. You kind of wonder did, did he really get it that way or, or what was taking place? Was he in the process of that and God just spoke to him? We don't know. But we just see this kind of un- unfolding here and the reality is God had been blessing Laban because of Jacob. Everywhere Jacob went the Lord was blessing him. And so Jacob says, name your wages. And I mean, I mean uh, Laban asked him to name his, his, his wages. And in one sense, just important just to note, Laban really only owed him the two wives that he had. He didn't have to give him any money to go away. Now, we know in the Bible, as you read it, if you were to read like later in the scriptures, there's a time where God says to his people, look, if somebody becomes your servant, when they're done, don't leave them empty-handed. Don't, don't, because you'll send them out and they'll have to go be an indentured servant to someone else. So we know that the right thing to do would be for him to give him something for all the labor that he had done and all the blessing that he had received. So as we move forward in verses 29 through 34, you'll notice this. In verse 29 it says, Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I've served you. And how your livestock has fared with me? For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I, t- I turned. But now, when now when shall I provide for my own household? So it's just important. There's this element to where he's saying, "Look, I've served you. This is the third time he said it. I've served you. I've served you." There's a sense in which he's almost been a servant or a slave to Laban in some ways. He's been under his care completely. And Laban's not the kind of guy that you're going to make a good living out of. He's always going to want more for himself. He's not going to put others before himself ever. So he's going to become very wealthy, but he's not going to say, good night, since Jacob has been here, I'm like ten times wealthier than I was when he showed up here. I should do something for him. He's not that kind of guy. And Jacob is wanting out from under him. He wants to go on his way and do his own thing. Laban knows he has a good deal with him. There's some of that going on. But notice in verses 31 through 34. He said, what shall I give to you? Laban asked again. Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be uh, counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be done as you have said. There's an element to where Laban was just sitting there going, Good night, this cat is crazy. I mean, what is Jacob doing? I mean, I can't believe that he's going to do this. I mean, this would be very odd. I mean, normally a sheep is going to be white and the lambs are going to be black, and it's just a normal thing. It's very rare just to have some kind of strange-looking animal. They normally just kind of breed and everything comes out normally. He's probably thinking that Jacob, man, he is just not, he's a little bit off his rocker as he walks away and he says, that's fine, we'll do it this way. Now, and, and we're not going to read all of these things, but I just want you to see in verses 35 through um, 43, uh, Laban basically takes uh, the spotted and, and Jacob grows his flock, kind of is what takes place there. But what happens is Jacob said he was going to pass through the flocks and pull out all the spotted animals And Laban instead goes and does it himself. He takes them out, and he goes and takes them a three-day journey away. Now, and he gives them to his sons. Now, I don't know. There's an element to me that makes me think that Jacob was supposed to start his initial flock just with those spotted animals and go through and pull those out. There's another side that some commentators say that really Jacob was supposed to separate them, but then he was going to give those to Laban, and they were going to start new. And Jacob was just going to start getting the spotted, you know, I don't know for sure what took place. But there's an element of me that thinks like Laban is just, again, showing his trickery. He doesn't trust Jacob. He's going to go about this in a way that already kind of messes up the whole deal. And so he's kind of doing that. But it's just important, I think, to say that. Now, what's going to happen in these verses is you're going to find out what Jacob does to have all these animals. A little bit of it's kind of superstitious. If you're looking in there and you're kind of noticing what takes place, he basically takes these sticks and he breaks them up and and he... He peels them back and, and it make they're kind of like they would look like striped things. And what he would do is he would take his animals up to where they would go to get water, and a lot of times that's where they would do their breeding. And what would happen, he would lay this stuff out, and especially when there's really healthy animals, he would lay it out, and as the animals looked at that, they're gonna end up having these speckled and funny colored animals, because they're looking at these little sticks. And you think, What is Jacob doing? Now a part of that just says what Jacob's doing is he kind of believes in like an old wise tale or whatever they would say. He believes in this superstitious thing that if you lay that out that way, this is what's going to happen. So a little bit of it makes you think, is he really trusting the Lord? Now, the other thing that he's doing is just kind of a wise. I mean, at some level, you would say a little bit wise, but maybe not doing the best that for Laban But he's looking and saying only I'm only going to do this when they're really healthy so I can have a really, really strong flock. So that's just important, I think, just to note that as we're moving forward. Now, just to stop there for a minute, you remember uh, Rachel last week, she traded Leah for some mandrakes. Mandrakes were things that were supposed to help you get you pregnant. Again, kind of an old wise tale, superstitious thing. She says, if I get those, then I'll get pregnant. And a little bit of literally not trusting, I think, the Lord. Now, I just have to stop here real quick, and it's going to slap me for this, but Anna makes William wear Florida Gator socks every Saturday. I mean, she has them, and she doesn't watch them. No, I'm just kidding, but she probably watched them but she slaps those on him every Saturday, and even during the bye week, he had to wear them just to get them ready for LSU, right? Because she's like a Floridian. Now, uh, that may be a little bit like that. Now she's not really trusting it, but that—that's kind of this deal. Like you hear about these athletes, and they have this little thing they go through, and every little thing you put this on this way, and you put, you know, and you come through all this stuff to try to make sure that you kind of do all you can to make things work out. But anyway, I think it's important. But here's a here important to note for us that in the Christian world, I think this can happen. We wouldn't call it superstition, but this is what we'd say: if I give my money. My business will do well. If I go to church every Sunday, my kids will turn out all right. If I do this, and it's almost like, in a sense to me, it's like trying to manipulate God. And I am meet some people sometimes, and when they're telling me that, and you think, are you doing that because you think God's going to do certain things for you? So if you follow this little step-by-step deal... And that everything will work out in your life. And that's really not the way the Bible presents it. I think it's always a danger for us. And I think at at all levels, not only is there things going on in our world where people are really superstitious, but there's also in the church a hint of that whenever we think we can manipulate God from being really, really good or giving something or doing this or doing that. I think we have to really watch ourselves when we do it. But here's what we see. And I just think it's important just to note here in verse 43. It says, thus the man increased greatly. We're talking about Jacob and it had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, who's doing all of this? Even if Jacob has kind of a misconception, God is doing it. God promised him that. He didn't need to come up with this little plan. God was working this out in his life. He is doing good for Jacob. He is pursuing him with goodness and mercy all the days of his life. He doesn't have to come up with some thing to try to get the get God to do it. He's not following this God where he sits around and he he maybe cuts himself or, or cries out a certain incantation and says, God, do these things for me. This is a God who is pursuing him with goodness and mercy in spite of him. And I think it's just important that we see this. Now, Looking as we move forward to the next chapter in verses 1 and 2, we see that Jacob hears that Laban's sons are getting mad because Jacob is now building this massive, group of this flock and it's just an astonishing thing because he's getting all these sheep that are coming out and and goes to, all this is coming out all speckled and striped and he's building this great kind of uh, I mean large farm really is what it would be like and he has this going on now they begin to get upset and they're thinking they're going to come after him. in verse 3 the Lord says to him return to the land of your fathers and your kindred and I will be with you now it's time God is saying, it is time. I have told you I'm going to bring you back, and now it's time. Not only is there kind of going to be some trouble, but also it's just time. The Lord is ready to move him. Now in verses 4 through 13, he has a meeting with his wives in the field. Now what happens is he calls his wives out, probably saying, look, we can't stay in this area. Let's come meet me out in the field. We're going to have a little meeting. And he sits down and he talks to them and he shares with them what's going on. One one commentator said that part of like, if you were taking... In Mesopotamia, if you were taking your wives and family out of their the land where they grew up or whatever, they had to say, we'll go with you. And so he was getting their consent potentially. I don't know, that's what I read about one person. But ultimately, he's just kind of laying this all out. I mean, they needed to be together as they're going to travel hundreds of miles together as a family. And he tells them, look, look here's what's happened. Your father has been doing me wrong all the whole time. I mean, he, he has, but God has been with me. He says, I've, I've taken care of your father. I've used all my strength to take care of him. And I've worked for him. But your father's basically cheated me. He's changed my wages, he says, 10 times. But God has not permitted him to harm me. Now here's we're going to learn this later, and we'll look at it here in a moment. But it's not only physically, but materially. God is not going to allow him to be harmed. And God has taken care of him, even though he's changed his wages 10 times. Now, what's that about? The last six years that Jacob is there in the land after those 14 years, they had set some wages. Laban keeps changing things, and we're going to see that as we move forward. But God is with him, and God is taking care of him. The Lord's given—I mean, really, He has favored him and done and blessed him. Then he tells the, that really the angel of the Lord met with him, and he says that I'm going that He's blessed him, so that he just reminds me I am for you, Jacob. And so we see that in this text. I think it's very powerful to see. God is keeping him, and He's going to return him back to the land. Now, in verses fourteen through eighteen, the only time that you're going to see Rachel and Leah agree is right now. I mean, they've been fighting. We've read all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on, but it's kind of it reminds me of that deal. Like it's it's okay, you know, they can fight among one another, but now there's this common enemy, and it's their father. I mean, there's that kind of element. But he is he's been very horrible to them as a family. I mean, it's just. All the things that he has done, he's hes broken all kinds of rules and customs and all kinds of stuff. He's treated them horribly. Now, as you move through this text, I just think it's important just to note what they're going to speak about is that he's taken away all that we were to have. Now, here's what happened. Jacob worked 14 years. The idea was that the father would hold back that money that Jacob would have made, and he's holding on to it in case, like, Jacob died or abandoned the family that they would be taken care of. It was kind of an insurance. He spent it all on himself, and so I'm going to kind of see that as we unfold that. And see they're saying like everything's lost, and now God has said, okay, all that our father has taken, He's returned back to you, Jacob, and to us, and to our children, to make sure that we'll be okay. And they say we want to go, do everything that the God God has told you to do, and we'll do it. We'll follow the Lord. Do as He said to you. And so they kind of lay that out as they're moving forward. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now what happens is that Laban goes to shear sheep. They usually would go to a town and do that, and everybody would come into town, and they would shear sheep. It would be a very busy time. It's a time where they're going to sell everything off. And so Laban's uh, in town, if you will. He's getting ready, and he's doing all that, and they're shearing all their sheep, and they would do this. And and when they did this, it kind of reminds you like a cattle town. Everybody comes into town. They do their, their work, and then they go back and work their fields. So during this time, Jacob doesn't tell him, and he says, okay, it's time to hightail it and get out of here. On the way, before they leave, Rachel stops by and swipes all of her dad's gods. Now, you understand, they're false gods. They're idols, and they would be small idols because they're going to fit inside of a little pack, and so she's going to swipe all those gods and take them with her. Why would she do that? Now, there's an element where you say, "I, I mean, I'm not sure. There's a part of me that thinks that maybe she did it because she trusted in those little gods. She had still not just embraced fully the one true and living God. There's another side of it that says that maybe she thought her father, the gods, would speak to him and tell him how to find them, Or maybe she was just like, I'm so mad at my dad, I'm going to swipe all his gods and we're gone. I and mean, we don't know for sure. But ultimately, she does this. She takes them. No one knows that she does it. As you move forward in verses 22 through 24... We find out that Laban pursues Jacob. And he's like, man, I'm going after Jacob. And Jacob's hightailing it. And Laban's like, I'm going after him. And he's pursuing him almost like he's built an army to go and overtake Jacob and destroy him. And so you're thinking, now here's the thing. Stop for just a moment. Think about the Exodus. What happened? They're hightailing it out of town. Pharaoh's like, let's go get them. They take off. They build this massive army but who's with him? The Lord is with the children of Israel, and the Lord is with Jacob. And you see that in this moment, that all of those people, I mean, Laban would be raging, and you know him, we know his heart, what he's like, he's pursuing him. Now, God meets with him. And it says in verse 24, God came to Laban, the Aramean, I said Aramean, sorry, in a dream by night, and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or Or bad. Now, if you remember, one time Abraham, this happened with him. With Pharaoh, God sent all these plagues. With Abraham, and but then there was a guy named Abimelech, and this is what the Lord says in a dream. He says, Abimelech, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. I'm going to kill you, Abimelech. And Abimelech's like, I didn't even know what. And I mean, he didn't even know what was going on. And the Lord said, You're a dead man. He's shaking. You know, it's like shocking, like, the, what he, Lord. we don't know what the Lord said to Laban. Whatever he said, it was enough to say Laban had to like lay aside his arms and he better leave Jacob alone. And so what happens is, verses 25 through 32, Laban catches up with Jacob and he begins to speak to him. He overtakes him and he comes to him. And Laban comes not as this warring person that's going to take over. He comes like he really cares about the family. And he's like, why did you run off? I wanted to hug my children and grandchildren, and I wanted to take care of them, and I want to send them away with a party. Why would you do this? Laban would have never done that. We know that, but Laban's pulling all this kind of stuff. But then he says that the God of your father came to me last night, and he convinced me to leave you alone. And so that kind of unfolds as we unpack that, and I just think it's important and we see Laban's doing this. But then Laban asks about his gods. He wants to know why they why they took them. And, and Jacob makes a strong statement, I'll kill anybody that take, took your gods. Check it out. And so ultimately, Laban looks around for his gods. And you see that kind of unfold in the passage. He couldn't find them. Rachel hid them. But all this kind of stories unfold. Now, just kind of moving forward, just to move forward to 36 through 42, we see that Jacob, uh, knowing that the Lord is with him, confronts Laban. He begins to ask him questions. And he really begins to go after him a little bit. And he He confronts him with all that he has done. He's angry, he scolds Laban. He says, I've served you 20 years. You've messed me around the whole time. The last six, you keep changing what you're going to give me. You've done me wrong all the way through this process. He says, I've had hot days and sleepless, cold nights, and I've done all these things. And if if something bad happened to one of your stock, I would take care of it myself. It would come out of my wages. All of those things are kind of laid out before Laban. And he speaks to him. And then he says, Jacob says to him, look at verse 42. He says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, which has the idea of reverence of Isaac. Isaac reveres this God, the one who he he fears and the one who has been with him. Had not been by my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed, but God saw my affliction and the labors of my hands and rebuked you last night. And so he's going to deal with him. He's going to say, "God has protected me." Jacob is is coming to this realization that this God who said that He was with him, who made these promises to him, is doing what He said that He would do. And then in, notice in the end, in verses 43 through 55, Laban says, "Finally, well then, let's make a covenant. Let's let's work this out." And so they go and take all these rocks and they stack them up there and they make they eat together. And they have covenant commitments. And Laban says, you better take care of my daughters. You better not marry anybody else. You better take care of them and and, and provide for them and that kind of thing. And then they make a statement. And Laban probably knows by this time, I'm not going to mess with Jacob. And he says, look, we will not pass these rocks and come and attack one another. And they make this kind of deal. But what it does, it solidifies what's taking place jacob has his own family and god is creating a people with jacob and his children and his wives and all of this is just unfolded before us and god is doing it and there's a clear break that god has now established this family of jacob with his children and like i said ultimately they'll be the 12 tribes of the nation of israel now we were i was meeting with some guys the other day at our church um our financial and and we're going to talk about that here in a minute in future site kind of planning team. We're just talking about where we are and what's taking place and what God is doing. And we were just saying like God has provided for us. It was uh, a little over three and a half years ago. The Lord just, uh, you know, by his grace, really a lot of people around me who said we can do this. And I'm like, no, we can't. This is the craziest thing in the world. And yet the Lord brought together a group of people who had courageous hearts. And we said, we're going to step out, and plant this church, Christ Community Church, and all along the way, we've seen the Lord provide and provide and provide and protect us from all kinds of things. He's blessed us. He's been with us. And I just think it's just a beautiful picture of His grace and His mercy towards us. And I think that what you do is you find out, like if you're to read the Bible, we understand that we're talking about Jacob being in exile and Jacob kind of trying to get back to his inheritance. And you and I understand that's where we are. God has said to us that we are strangers and aliens on this earth. We are in the, in this kind of hostile old creation. This world is passing away in all of its lusts, and there's all kinds of evil on every side in so many different ways through temptation and trial and struggle that you would think, how will these people survive? How will this little church survive? How will the church abroad survive? What's going to happen with all that's taking place around us? You and I know that the flesh... Galatians chapter 5 says the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, all these things. There's these battles within us. We see that in Jacob's life and in his family and you think good night. There's strife within Jacob. Jacob is not a united man always for the Lord. He struggles on every side. So we know there's that battle. We know that the world, that the Bible does say it is passing away and all of its lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, all of this world system is against the people of God. And really one of the things we learned in Matthew was the Lord really keeps the nations fighting so it preserves His people oftentimes. But God is working in spite of that even though there's this world system that is, that is going on that's so horrific and so against God's ways. We know the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 that to be watchful because Satan goes around roaring like a lion to see who he may devour. We know that that is taking place all around us. There's this evidence of there's an enemy that is fighting against God's people that is trying to destroy it. And just like Laban, all along the way he is trying to destroy the people of God. God is there with them. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are these battles going on in the heavenlies all around us, and God is saying, Put on your armor and get ready for the fight. But no, it's God's armor. Putting on the armor means to put on Christ. Putting on the armor means to believe the Gospel. That God is holy, that we are sinful, and that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a sinner, and His life and death is put to our account as we walk through the channel of faith that is by the grace of God, we have experienced this life-transforming work, and now I'm putting on those truths. I'm laying aside falsehood. I'm putting on truth. I'm laying aside rebellious living. I'm putting on righteousness. I'm doing this in the power that He provides, in the, in the, the armor that He's provided. God has given us that. And so as God's people encounter all kinds of dangers and toils and snares and all the stuff that Jacob would say, I encountered all of these things, we know that God is saying, I've given you victory. John chapter 10 says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. God will not leave His people. God has protected His people. God will take His people home. God is not going to let us go. He is with us. He is with you in the darkest of days at your work. He is with you in the difficulties of your family. He is with you in the most desperate condition. God is with His people. He does not stop He never stops. He relentlessly pursues his people with goodness and mercy all the days of their lives. That is powerful truth to us. That should send our hearts just overwhelmed with that, that what God is doing. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, this is what the scripture says And you who were dead in your trespasses, God is, has done it. God has given victory to His people in all that they face in this life as Jacob or the children of Israel in the wilderness wanderings or you... If you are inside of that situation, you're living and you think there is trouble on every side, you stand among the psalmist even who said on all sides are my enemies, yet God has set a table before them in the presence of my enemies. God has blessed me. He's fighting with me. strengthening me. He is making all things right. And He's going to restore His people and we can hope in that. God protects and blesses Jacob. He protects and blesses us and we need to see that and believe that and if you have not been united to god through jesus christ by faith you are not under the protection of god you are under the, the you really under the, the, the wrath of god today you stand condemned today you should be afraid and not of satan and all those powers you should be you be afraid of the wrath of god he is the one who will send both body and soul to hell. And so today, if you are here separated from Christ, you have no hope, you have no uh, really thing, anything to trust in, you have no standing, you will not stand in the day of judgment. You will be like the man who was standing on the sand and when the floods came, his house went away. So today I call to you, turn to Christ and, and, and allow Him him by his grace to transform you repent of your sins and trust in him and he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will be with you even to the ends of the age may we be as a church so overwhelmed by the goodness of grace of God and may we be a church trusting in the face of all kinds of things that say something different trusting that our God reigns and that he has disarmed all the rulers and authorities through his son. Father, we thank you that Jacob's story is a reminder that sinners are saved by grace. And it's a reminder that you have chosen a people, that you have called them out, and that you will save them. And it's not them that hold on to you, but that you are holding on to them. And no one, not Satan, not demons, not the kings of this age, not all those who rebel against God could snatch them away. Lord, I pray this would help combat our fears and our anxieties that come as we live in a world that's so unstable. May we hope in Christ, since His name we. Pray.